check, check, check. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Live After Dark at a new, late time. The midnight hour here, baby. <laughs> or about an hour later, hour 15 later than usual for the next six weeks or so. We'll see how we like it. We'll see how it goes. If it's good, maybe I'll keep doing it. Uh, if more folks can hear and, and join live, we'll do that. Um, but otherwise, that's what's going to work for me schedule-wise. Although I did, the, the later time here is overlapping with the Bulls playing game today, which is definitely going to be a problem for my attention span. That said, it's first half. We're the 10 seed. Our odds are not fantastic. We can talk Bulls at the end of this. Don't worry, comics fans. We will get to the Bulls. For now, we can start with comics. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com. Thanks, everybody, for joining here live. Those of you that are here, I will get to as many questions as I can in the chat. Super Chat is open and available. That will support CBH endeavors and are greatly, greatly appreciated. You can also always support Comic Book Herald just by going over to comicbookherald.com, checking out the website, or, of course, going to patreon.com slash comicbookherald for support. The Destiny of X reading order is nearing completion. I've charted the entire Krakoa era of X-Men comics. There are reading orders on Comic Book Herald for every era, for every comic that has come out. Um, and the, the Destiny of X is nearing completion. You know, I mean, it's going to be Sinister 6. Uh, Sinister 6. Sin, uh, Sins of Sinister here is about to conclude by the end of the month. Then we're going to have basically, what, one, two, three months before the Hellfire Gala kicks off in earnest. And then we're basically into the fall of X. So we're going to need a new reading order, a part four, I think it'll be, of the Krakoa era. Will there be a part five? I suppose we'll find out in the fall of X. Yes, there will be a part five. I have confidence in that. But thanks, everybody, for joining live. We got two new X-Men comics to talk about today. We got Sins of Sinister, Storm of the Brotherhood, number three. And then we got X-Men, number 21, which was not a comic I thought I'd have a lot to say about. And then I, like, I tweeted a thing about it. First mistake, right? <laughs> and there's a lot of conversation, actually, about this issue, and I have some thoughts. I have some thoughts that have not been shared online. The, the good people, the masses, they're focused on the nitty-gritty, on, on the, the back and forth, the hoi polloi. I'm just saying words. <laughs> but I, of course, see the bigger picture and what is truly happening here, and I will share that with you when we get there. So thank you for joining I'm Dave with Comic Herald. Later time is where we're going to be for the next several weeks. Um, if, if more people are joining, maybe I'll just keep it there. All right? Get your questions. Get your thoughts. Let's do this thing. I basically have, like, one note today. Usually I come in with some written things to keep this puppy on track. There's none of that today, so this could go off the rails. We're going to start with a question here that came in at the very beginning. Ace asks, I know this is not an Avengers podcast, but did you see the new villains? For Jed's run, they look so freaking dope. Uh, you know, I saw there was an email teasing uh, some of the stuff to come in the Gem McKay Avengers. Uh, I have not looked at it yet, but I will just say, I, broadly, yeah, I'm really excited for this run. I am, I mean, Avengers is is more than ready for creative turnover. Obviously, Jed McKay is really flipping good. Every book Jed has touched has been, at a minimum, interesting. Generally, some of the best in Marvel Comics. Um, so, you know, right now, Moon Knight is top of the heap. Strange with Klee in the lead has been quite good. And taking over Avengers makes a lot of sense. So I'm extremely excited for that run. It is definite. It, there is no way I will, I will Dave Stinney predict this right now 
there is a 0% chance that it is not an improvement on what Avengers has been going through for the last, you know, I mean, five years, but really the last three or four are just, really the last two years of the Jason Aaron Avengers are just an absolute unwinnable quagmire. You know, I hesitate to draw a comparison to a, a war that is often considered a quagmire to a comic run, because that seems misguided and like a bad idea. So I'm not going to do that. But when I say quagmire, like just what a muddle. What a muddle. Not the point. Not the point. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing here in the chat, whoa, is this Cerebro crossover? This is not an Avengers podcast. This could be an Avengers podcast. Like, <laughs> this is whatever I want it to be. I, I, I Listen, I'm in the X-Men lane because that is where most of the YouTube audience found me because I, I was getting ramped up when House and Powers hit, and then that was the thing I got most excited about. So that's the thing we talk about the most, and, like, I'm still generally invested. Um, but, but, I mean, no, by no means, like, do I want to be just an X-Men person. I'm happy to, to play that role, but Comic Book Herald is, is an equal comics opportunity employer. We've got reading orders for literally everyone. Um, and historically, because X-Men comics haven't been that interesting, you know, that's the thing I've talked about. Like, House and Powers is, is the first time I started collecting X-Men comics in my life. Not the first time I started reading them. I'm well-versed in the lore and the history, right? And I've read those comics and I love them. Um, but, like, I didn't, I'm not collecting X-Men comics part of that point. You know, there's a lot of stuff I like more. Um, you know, historically, like, if I just look at, like, my favorites of all time, obviously, and you Google the best comics of all time, you'll see what I've got on CBH here. Um, Batman is definitely going to do a lot better than X-Men. Um, Spider-Man, eh, probably not an aggregate, but, like, at the at the peak. I mean, I like my Amazing Spider-Man by Lee Ditko and Romita better than I like anything in X-Men. Um, uh, Craven's Last Hunt is going to hold its own against just about anything in X-Men. So... Uh, anyway, this is not intended to be X-Men slander so much as I have other interests. We can call it any kind. It's a comics podcast. How about that, right? It's a comics podcast. I would love to talk about loads of other things other than X-Men. Do not hesitate to ask. ask. I appreciate those questions coming in. All right. Seeing some more questions coming in. Great. Good. We're going to get to as many as I can because, again, I took no notes. I have nothing else to talk about <laughs> or that I plan to talk about with any clarity. With any clarity at all. I gotta say, so Sins of Sinister was today. Storm of the Brotherhood number three. Uh, it has been my my favorite of the miniseries so far. But honestly, nothing, there's nothing that happened in Storm of the Brotherhood number three today that in any way really changes what I was saying and how I felt about the event last week with um, with Immoral X-Men. I think it's gonna make a nice package altogether. The event as a whole, though, I think falls a bit flat. I really think it does. I had very high hopes. I had very high expectations and a pretty high degree of confidence that it was going to be phenomenal. It is not phenomenal. It is not going to go down as one of my favorite crossovers. Um, it is It is decent. It is middle of the road, and that's okay. I'm very excited for Dominion. I'm very excited for that final issue to see what happens, to see where things are going. But more than that, in what I said last week, I am excited for the return of Karen Gillan on Immortal X-Men and Al Ewing on X-Men Red. And as these solicits keep coming out, holy guacamole, am I excited for these runs to return. This sounds incredible. Sounds absolutely incredible what's to come here in Immortal X-Men and X-Men Red. It's time to get back to them. Sins of Sinister, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't hold its own as an alternate reality um, in the in even just in X-Men comics. I mean, the Age of Apocalypse is way better. Light years better. 
Um, I it's probably closer to. I don't know. Is it better than House of M? Is Sins of Sinister better than House of M? Uh, maybe, probably, maybe. You know, I would put it more in line with like Age of X, the Mike Carey, uh, uh, kind of oddball alternate reality crossover type thing that spun out of X Men Legacy. Uh, I think that's more the tier, probably that it's on, which is a fine place to be. It's a fine place to be. I'm very excited for for Dominion to get here. Uh, you know, I, I hope that's going to be good. But otherwise, it's like, all right, yeah, like let's let's keep the ball rolling. Let's keep the ball rolling on the old sins of sinister. Um, is there anything that happens from the Brotherhood that we need to talk about? Oh, I don't know. A storm gets resurrected in the future. Um, some, I mean, there's a, listen. It's fun. It's absolutely fun. Like Al Ewing and, and Kieran Gillen are having a blast with, and Cy Spurrier are having a blast with the the cosmic possibilities. And, and the way you can just toss off a lot... Like, there's a line in there today that Ewing writes that's like, oh, I wish we hadn't lost X-Man to the, to the orphan Madrox. And then you just let your imagination run wild with, well, what the heck is that? What was that story? Right? That's cool. I like that potential. But again, we had too much, I think, idea seeding of, of let your imagination run wild and too little clarity around spelling out any of those big, fun ideas. Um, Gillen did a bit of it with the, the Church of the Exoduses, Exodites, whatever the heck you call them, uh, in the previous issue. Ewing does very little of it here beyond Emma of the Red Diamond. Uh, what does she do? Emma, so Emma Sinister. The, the Kawhi Council is like the Ramones now, right? Like they all, they're all Sinisters. So we got Emma Sinister. Um, uh, she, what does she do? She like transfers her consciousness into a Megatron. Reminding me of when Mr. Sinister takes over a Celestial and you're the big floating head Celestial back in uh, the, the original Gillen X-Men run in 2011. Um, so you have Emma Sinister in a giant mega mold of herself. You have diamond spaceships all around her. Good details all around. Um, but yeah, nothing like nothing major to write home about. Uh, Sinister, of course, betrays everyone around him. He's going to try to get the Moiras back. I don't think we know where evil robot Moira is. Like she escaped somehow. Um, R.I.P. maybe to our Doombot pal. Uh, honestly, like, could I re could I have read more stories about original Sinister, evil robot Moira, and a busted Doombot navigating a thousand years into the future in space? Yeah, I could have. I could have read a lot more of those. Okay? But it's not happening. It's not happening. Here we are. That's fine. We're gonna, like, it, it's fascinating to me, too. Like, Nightcrawlers comes next. This is like odd insular focus on Mother Righteous and these these clone chimeras. Like, how is that stepping stone gonna feel necessary in the build to Dominion? Because it feels like we're we sure are ready for Dominion. Uh, this this final episode or this final issue of Sins of Sinister. But we'll see. But we'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's all I gotta say about Sins of Sinister and Storm of the Brotherhood. Uh, again, get your thoughts in. Get your thoughts in. Definitely not the most interesting Ali Ewing comic I read today. Most interesting Halloween comic I read today was Venom number 18, which was recommended to me by a startling number of readers, which I, I tweeted this earlier, but honestly, like my one of my favorite things doing Comic Book Herald, apart from just the fame, fortune, and adulation of my peers, adoration? Can you be adored and adulated? That doesn't feel right. We'll, we'll go with adoration. 
uh, aside from that is is when people come in, readers come in, and they're like excitedly like, dude, you gotta read X. You know, you gotta read this comic. I love that. I love that when people come in and they're like, oh, I'm so excited about this thing. You have to check this out. And a lot of times I might might have already done that. In this case, you know, I'm not keeping up with Venom. Um, so I did read Venom number 18. And holy guacamole, is it awesome? It's so good. It's so flipping good. I mean, I don't even... There's a part of me that doesn't want to spoil it because we normally don't spend a lot of time talking about Venom um, just because, you know, the book has not... It, it's been this alternating collaboration between Rom V and Al Ewing, who are two of just straight up my favorite creators in all of comics right now. Um, but it did not work. Their collaboration with Brian Hitch, who's like really getting a lot of Marvel work right now. Um, I don't think Hitch was ever going to be a good fit on that, on that book, on a Venom book. Um, it's not even an anti-Hitch thing. I've liked recent Hitch stuff. Like his, his work on Hawkman on the DC side was really good. It fit. I don't think Venom was a fit. I don't think it worked. Uh, and anyway, it just, it was... The series was, I'm out on it. And I, I keep thinking, oh, surely this will be one of my favorite, you know, Marvel comics when I make those lists on CBH. Ron V, Al Ewing, how could this Mitch miss? Um, but but here we are, and it's it's never been in the ballgame. And then I read Venom number 18, and I'm like, oh, okay. Maybe this does enter the conversation. Uh, and again, I... I I don't, I don't even know how spoilery this is. What I, I'll keep it big picture, and if you want to read this for yourself um, beforehand, listen, some of these images are going to pop up here on the screen, and I haven't said yet, spoilers follow for the, for the comics I discuss. So if that wasn't clear, that's happening. Uh, but Venom number 18, Al Ewing is doing the thing that he does better than anyone, and maybe better than anyone has ever done it. With much respect to Mark Grunewald, rest in peace, Rooney, but like, has anyone ever done it better at connecting Marvel continuity and intersecting and, and taking ideas that no one is bothering with or that no one feels like they need to do anything with and that even readers aren't thinking about connecting, right? Like, how many of us were sitting here like, oh, I really wish somebody would, would explain the Ivory King's place in the Marvel cosmos back from the Hickman Avengers, New Avengers. Like, I'm a huge flipping fan of that run. And I'm not sitting here thinking that's something I need. And of course, Al Ewing's like, oh, well, we got Ivory Kings. So Ivory's, you know, a shade of white. And we've got our Kings in black here, post Donny Cates Venom. So obviously these are opposite sides of the same coin. <laughs> in the Marvel cosmic scheme, it's so flipping smart uh, I love it. Al Ewing does this so often that it's just like, there, you can't even pick, like you'd have to rank like your top 20 examples of Ewing having done this. I just, nobody else has this specific skill. And I think what's so incredible about it is not just that he's doing it, but like you do get writers and you get creators definitely throughout Marvel history that are like really indebted and um, kind of like, trapped by Marvel continuity, you know? Like, they're kind of trapped by the past, right? And they're overly nostalgic. Uh, we're in the My Marvelous Year Club right now. We're talking about this a lot because we're in the early 2000s. And you get a dichotomy in the early 2000s of Marvel Knights as the new wave of progressive comic storytelling and the way Marvel comics can be told. And then you have kind of a corresponding wave of, like, back-to-basics, 
let's do the classics, I would say spearheaded by the Kurt Busiak and George Perez Avengers. Um, and Kurt Busiak, definitely on the Marvel side, is a creator who is is a huge fan, is a massive fan. And what you get then a lot of times is like continuity encyclopedia comics. And the thing that is miraculous about Ewing is he doesn't write encyclopedias. He continues to write stories, but he makes the continuity connections nonetheless in ways that are just thrilling. They they are massive payoffs if you're a longtime fan, um, but they aren't, like, tedious. And a lot of times that stuff can get tedious. And when he does it, it just never is. It just never is. So I'm I'm in right now on reading more Venom, which I was not. It's definitely a cool issue. I went into this, you know, I read maybe the first, I don't know, I've read some chunk of the first 10 issues of Venom, and then I read some of the Dark Web tie-ins, which are, I mean, Dark Web is just flush it, just flush it, let it go. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, so I'm not like fully caught up. I didn't have all the continuity, but then I jumped in this issue and I was fine because of my familiarity with, you know, the Donny Cates and, and Ryan Stegman stuff and the King of Black and of course the Hickman Avengers New Avengers. So anyway, long way of saying Venom 18, super cool issue. Thanks to those of you who recommended it to me to read. It was definitely, uh, worth picking up, worth picking up. All right. Let's see. Should we talk about X-Men number 21? Should we do that first? Then we can do some more questions. We can do that. That's fine. So X-Men number 21 was the other X-Men comic that came out today. Okay. This issue is not really that interesting <laughs> or that special. Uh, it's a continuation of the X-Men trying to resolve the threat of the brood. Um, brew, little guy, everybody's favorite little, little brew had control of the Brood High Mind as per the Hickman run. He lost that control because Nightmare, yes, Nightmare, the Doctor Strange villain, was mad that Jean Grey messed with him. So he, in retaliation, broke the Brood High Mind. And that has led now to Brood infestation. They're reverting to their parasitic, destructive ways. They gave Corsair a Brew baby, and, uh, and they infested a bunch of people that, that Sink and Old Lady Laura had to kill today in this issue as well. All of that is par for the course comic stuff. Uh, pretty unremarkable. What is interesting about the last couple issues is Jerry Duggan's been writing Scott Summers as a big fan of genocide. <laughs> and I don't love it. I don't love the look. Now, when we talked about X number 20, I remember saying something to the effect of, it feels weird how ready and how into genocide Scott is here with the brood. Feels off. And we didn't really linger on it too much, but it was like, that That makes me feel a little weird. Okay, here Duggan doubles, triples, quadruples down on Scott as a fervent supporter of eradicating the entirety of the brood. Now, if we want to argue the semantics and the specifics of the brood's value to the Murphy universe, that's a conversation you can, a very nerdy conversation you can sink into. But what I want to sink into, I think instead, is one, am I crazy that it's weird for Cyclops to want to do a genocide? Okay, because that's part of the debate right now. And two, 
this was massively underbaked. <laughs> okay, if you want to make the case for working to a point where Cyclops wants to do a genocide, this was massively, massively underbaked. And the thing that I realized that bothers me the most about this is not the, you know, a quote-unquote character assassination of Cyclops, and it's not because I'm a huge fan of the brood and think they need to get their flowers, <laughs> right? The brood have done terrible things throughout the galaxy. Also, we've seen them as sentient. Like, like I have seen brood having conversations, <clears throat> okay? So, like, it's not like they're, they're literally just, like, mindless parasites, at least as I understand it. Um, but it's not that. That's not the stuff that bothers me the most. What bothers me the most about this is this whole era, the value of the Krakoa era and the value of House and Powers and the mission statement was to break the rules, to get out of ruts, to stop doing the same things. That's the value. That's the mission statement. That's what made House and Powers and the possibilities so exciting. And we saw that specifically with how the X-Men and New Mutants and Marvel Universe reacted to the brood. Jonathan Hickman did a decent amount in his New Mutants and X-Men comics to establish some new brood lore. The ways that they were experimented on by the Kree. The ways that they were manipulated by the Supreme Intelligence. The ways that they were could be controlled by a King Egg, which Brew ate in a very comical, interesting moment. These were different approaches, <clears throat> okay? These were different, unique, interesting approaches to resolving old problems. That's the value of this era, is that possibility, is the creative challenge of finding new answers. Having a hero, Cyclops, arguing hot-headedly yelling <laughs> that we need to kill our enemies is nothing more than the Batman should we kill the Joker conversation, but extended to an entire species. This is tired. It is cliched. It is overdone in comics. We see this all the time. It's regressive. It's moving backwards. Okay? That's my problem with it. I've realized now, as I say it out loud. <laughs> and that is that sums up a lot of why this run is always very, very middle of the road for me. What are the unique creative solutions to push this era into breaking the rules into stuff we haven't seen before. What's it doing on that front? Okay? I would love to know. I would love to know. Now, the one thing I will say that is a, a potential saving grace here, and it's something I'm 100% willing to grant because I, I see it coming. <clears throat> I've got like 30% Dave's to reading on this, okay? Because Scott seems... Like, and here's the thing is like, it is, it is badly characterized and massively underbaked, uh, in terms of like setting the stage for both sides having a point, right? If you want to kind of do your civil war debate in, you know, your Steve versus Tony thing, it works best when it feels like both characters have a point. The argument here, you know, between Cyclops and then him getting shut down by Gene 
Gene is so overwhelmingly obviously right that it's not a conversation. And it's genuinely weird to me how many people I've seen today who are like, well, the brood, you know, they infested his dad. So, you know, it makes sense he'd be mad. Yeah, it makes sense he'd be mad. But like, <laughs> like how many of us are like, yeah, my dad was threatened. I'm ready to do a genocide. That's a big turn. That's a big turn. Concerning how many people are like, oh, well, they threatened his dad. The next step is not genocide. Okay. Big jump. Big jump. Okay. But yeah, the thing that I can see coming though, because it is so ham-fisted and so otherwise badly characterized is, okay, maybe we're laying the seeds here for, that is not Scott. That is not Cyclops. That is a clone that has been implanted by Dr. Stasis, which Dr. Stasis is going to use as part of Orcus's scheme during the Hellfire Gala to frame all of mutant kind for being horrible, bad, no good, whatevers. Okay? That's, that's a strong possibility that feels in play that then these I can look at these issues and say, okay, I see what you're doing. Otherwise, it's just really bad. <laughs> like, otherwise, it's just awful. But I think if you're doing the thing where it's like, oh, Scott seems terrible. Um, yeah, maybe he's a clone implanted by Dr. Stasis. And this is all part of the Orcus plan that's going to unfurl at the Hellfire Gala that is going to set the stage for Paul of Axe. That I can see. That I can see. Okay. Um, all right. Let's see. Let's see. Who in the comments is coming out in favor of genociding the brood? I'm sure there's some of you. <laughs> Let's see. Um, the Noir says, I'm not feeling you, Dave. I think that Scott had a pretty interesting idea about his genocide. I, I'm going to let your words speak for yourself on that one. Let's see. Thank you, Base God says, Scott's definitely under some evil influence here. Okay. On the same page on that front. Derek Distrositus says, Scott has a point. Let's be honest. If the brood were real, I'd be on Scott's side. Okay, so here, here's where we get into the very nerdy semantics of, are, is there any redeemable value in the brood, specifically? Right? Like, like, are they just space aliens that kill people? Um, or, or, like, space insects that kill people, as opposed to, like, a sentient group? I mean, I think this would be easier to support if we didn't literally have cute little brew running around, a product of the brood, and and who has the ability and the power to control them, and and use because it it tactically as well, and this is where it bother, bothers me from a Cyclops standpoint specifically, tactically, having control of the brood through your ally alliance with brew, is a huge tactical advantage, that one of your war captains should be acknowledging. Nightmare disrupting that connection is the anomaly. You know, that is the thing, that is the oddity here. Um, but otherwise, as far as like, should the brood be exterminated? Oh, it's a tough one because they, they rarely have been portrayed like as sentient or, um, you know, as having like some sort of culture a la the scrolls, right? Like the scrolls are constantly folks enemies but it's like no like they're 100 percent like you know culture like a, a culture that would be destroyed the brood is often not portrayed as that 
most often not portrayed as that. Um, but I don't know, man. Like, like <laughs> genocide's generally bad. I feel like more people should agree on that. Um, let's see, what else do we got? And yeah, I mean, I think from an X-Men fan's perspective, like, most of what we've ever seen is the brood infesting mutants and killing them and, like, nearly winning. Right? Like, like in the 80s, the first time we come in contact with the brood, they nearly kill all of the X-Men and take over Professor X and then would have no, would have done heaven knows what to the new mutants once they got back to Earth. They are a threat. Like, no, no questions about it. No questions about it. Um, I mean, I see somebody here. Well, how else do you deal with the brew? Uh, the ways that they've been dealing with them. First off, Jean Grey finds a solution here. She takes them to this nowhere location that Forge and Monet just set up. Okay? There's an actual interesting solution. There's something different. Now they're waiting in the wings. Possible allies down the road. Okay? That's something off the board. And, like, it is... I do think it's effective... As, as badly mishandled, I think, as Scott is here, I do think it's effective to have Gene be the one to shout him down, to shut him down. And, like, Gene has done a genocide as the Phoenix, as the Dark Phoenix. She knows what it's like. She knows what that toll is. You know? Speaking from experience, she can say, you don't want to go down this road. I think that's effective. I like that it's her finding a solution. Um... But I, it's an awful look for Cyclops. I mean, truly, truly awful. Um, but yeah, it's it's bad. I mean, I, I get it. If you're purely looking at it in comics terms, in terms of just, they are the evil baddies, destroy them. Like, okay. Uh, I just, listen. I think too many X-Men fans maybe are getting a little too comfortable with like, or, or rather let's put it this way. The original five right now between beast <laughs> and now Cyclops real comfortable with genocide, right? <laughs> like, like employing it as a regular tool. We should very clearly be viewing that as a problem. We know it with dark beast because Percy has hit us over the head how many times with the fact that Beast has gone bad. We should be seeing it with Cyclops here. Okay? And if that's not intentional, that's a flub. I hope it's intentional. All right. Let's get some water. Sponsored today by Big Water. This can be found in all your taps, in all your local uh, refrigerators, possibly outdoors if it's raining near you. Get in your questions, get in your thoughts, I'll answer later. Banksy says here, Brew needs to rebrand the Brood with the dancing in the Stars TV show for some better PR. I, yes, you're right. If the, Listen, if the Brood could dance, <laughs> they share a hive mind. You're telling me their choreography couldn't blow you away? Like, that would absolutely help them. No questions. No questions. Thank you, Base God points out, Warren tried to genocide in Uncanny X-Force 2. Gene did a genocide as the Dark Phoenix. So, all right, so we got four out of our five original X-Men. Um, Age of Apocalypse Bobby is kind of a monster. but uh, And there's that Marjorie Lewis uh, Iceman work in Astonishing X-Men, but I don't think he straight up does, does a genocide. So, so Bobby might be the only one left of the 05 
who's not like, yeah, I, I've <laughs> worked on a genocide before. I think he's the only one left. But maybe that's to come in, uh, in the next Iceman series, written by Steve Orlando. I don't know if we talked about this last time. There were three, three, three of the series that are new that we didn't know what they were going to be were officially announced with creative teams. So you got the Iceman book is going to be written by Steve Orlando. You got Dark X-Men, which is going to be written by Steve Fox. And Realm of X is going to be written by, I have no idea how to say this author's name. I can see it in my head, so I'm not even going to pretend to try. But uh, she's writing Thor right now and has done a decent amount of work in the Thorverse and on Valkyrie. Um, my thoughts on the lineups. I'm seeing a question here from James. So, okay. So Iceman is an Iceman book. Uh, I'm the solicit actually sounds pretty interesting because it's, so it's going to be post fall of X. So fall of X, like, okay, this is an era. It's not an event. Um, it's going to, it sounds like it's going to be dark rain X-Men, right? Everything's going to have gone to heck. Krakoa is going to be, you know, probably the nation is still going to exist and should exist. Uh, but you know, the quiet council is going to be basically completely dissolved. Professor X is going to be left behind. Like it's going to be a totally new look Krakoa. What's left of it. Um, and somebody else is like mutants are going to lose a lot of power and a lot of prestige is clearly going to happen, right? It's going to be dark rain X-Men. Uh, so Iceman's going to have like a fortress of solitude <laughs> in the Antarctic, which is a pretty good idea, uh, in kind of doing his own thing. Um, maybe planning his genocide so he can get on, you know, on with the original, uh, original five. You know, it doesn't want to be left out anymore. Um, so that sounds okay. Uh, Dark X-Men, I'm actually probably the most excited for of these three. I really like what Steve Fox has done in comics. Uh, Cheater Code is a really flipping good erotic graphic novel. Uh, Steve Fox has also worked as an editor on Department of Truth, which is one of my favorite James Tynion comics of the last however many years. Uh, it's edited Razor Blades, the horror anthology with Tynion, and is doing a whole bunch of other stuff now. But I think Dark X-Men has... A lot of promise. It's got Havoc and, and Maddie Pryor, which was I, what I predicted. Uh, but then the rest of the team lineup is just like absolutely out of this world weird. And so's Realm of X. It's both of these books are like, okay, team lineups. We need no star power. Make it as weird as you flip and want. Like if you're a fan, if you're the type of X-Men reader who's a huge fan of oddball D-list characters, this is your moment. This is your moment. We will never see X-Men book team lineups this weird again. I promise you. I promise you. It will never get this flipping strange and off the beaten path again. So I'm tentatively optimistic about Dark X-Men. Um, a Realm of X is, is magic and Danny Moonstar, I guess, are the stars there. They're going to be in Asgard doing, uh, doing 10 Realm stuff. Um, which, you know, New Mutants have a bit of a legacy with that. I think the most interesting thing about those three books is none of them are set on Earth. Um, or at least they're not based, well, certainly not based on Krakoa, specifically, right? I guess Bobby's hiding in the Arctic. Dark X-Men's going to be out of limbo. Realm of X is going to be Asgard. That doesn't feel like an accident, right? Seems like Earth is not going to be a welcome place. Or certainly, at least Krakoa is not going to be a welcome place. For mutant kind after fall of X, which, you know, everything we've seen feels like that's what's going to happen. All right. Let's see. I'm seeing here uh, Toron Gronbeck is how it's pronounced, the writer of Realm of X. Thank you for that. Um, I'm seeing here Iceman is nerfed. 
I don't know why you would think that necessarily. I think he's still going to be Omega level Bobby and, uh, and using those powers however he can. Not sure if there's something else there, but I, I think it's going to you know, try to be about Omega level Bobby. I hope. I hope. Hopefully, Steve Orlando can lean into more into what he does best here with this Iceman book because Marauders is, is a tough one. I think. I mean, I, I, I've seen Orlando write about like what he was trying to do on the book and the ambitions. And it's one of those books where it's like, I like reading about what you were trying to do more than I like reading the comic, you know? Um, and like, I love Steve Orlando on Midnighter has written one of my favorite Wonder Woman issues of all time. Uh, so I'm, I'm hopeful that Iceman's going to be good as well. Let's see. Okay. Get in your questions. Get in any final thoughts. I think we tackled most of the big stuff. Uh, one of the questions that came in here is, how long do you think the fall of X will be? Well, Destiny started about a year ago, right? I think that was March 2022. Uh, so it seems like these things tend to last about a year. I would predict around the same. I mean, I guess one of the things you got to consider here is you can't have a Hellfire Gala if if Krakoa is completely dissolved. Or maybe you can't. I guess what, what might, probably the most likely state of affairs is that Krakoa remains a sovereign mutant nation, but Charlie is left basically with a, a deeply fractured populace that a lot of the mutants are going to go their own way, try to found their own communities, do their own things. Like, like Krakoa is going to break up, you know? Mutants are going to break apart, and they're going to try to do their own things. That That is what I would guess is the primary core of the fall of X. Um, so I'd give it another year. I'd give it another year. That seems to be about how long these eras are going to go. And then uh, from there, you know, it's time to reset and use more of his love of life. Come on, baby. Bring it on back. We'll see. We'll see. Let's see, somebody asked about Venom number 18, which I already talked about. Okay, I think I'll tackle the questions. I saw a couple super chats come in. Thanks to those of you who donated here. Let's see, we got uh, Brandon Jones showing support. Thanks for the analysis, Dave. Thank you, Brandon, for your support. Really appreciate it. We also got Lethargos here in the super chat. Thanks so much for your support. Really, really love it. Okay, I think we're pretty good. I'm going to take one old big swig of water, and then we can call it. Okay, so I was going to do about 45 today. I think that's where we're at. I think that's about where we're at. So it'll be a little shorter, a little later. Next time, I might be a little drunker. We'll see. We'll see how the night's going. Hashim says, I'm not hyped for Fall of X. I want to see a bigger Orcus showdown and Nimrod in the mix. Uh, I guess why not both? Right? I, I think that's going to happen in Fall of X. I think that's going to be a big part of, of what... Um, you know, kind of sets it up, is going to be that big Orcus showdown. And presumably that means Nimrod in the mix. You know what we need to see in the in the Hellfire Gala? Give me some Omega Sentinel. We haven't seen Omega Sentinel since Inferno. That's the most interesting character in this whole flipping business right now. Ain't seen nothing yet. Derek says, I don't get it, Dave. Why do you want Moira's 11th life? Wouldn't that just be another alternate reality like so many others? No, it would be the reality. Like, it's not... So if Moira's 11th life resets, we're not doing an Age of Apocalypse. There's no going back. 
okay? Like that mechanism has not been set up or utilized. You can't travel through the multiverse to Moira's eighth life, for example, at least as far as we know at this point. So if the 11th life is used, it's a hard reset on all of what is considered quote-unquote reality in the Marvel Comics universe, and then it gives Moira and the gang a chance to, do we do Krakoa again? Do we change our approach? What's actually a better approach? You know, and it gives you a chance to like fully reset for the future. Now, that might sound, I suppose, scary to those of you who love the Krakoa era, um, but it doesn't mean you have to get rid of Krakoa as a sovereign nation. And, and more and more as I think about it, like Krakoa should just be here to stay. There should always, from now on, in Marvel Comics, be a mutant nation of Krakoa. Like Wakanda and Latveria, Krakoa should just exist. What you do within that structure can fluctuate wildly. The governments, the leaders, the people, Krakoa itself, and how it presents, all of that stuff can change dramatically. But the, the idea of a mutant sovereign nation, a unifying one, not just like a Magneto-run Genosha, that should always exist. I, I think that should always be there. Getting rid of that, to me, feels like a massive mistake. Uh, Ace says, nah, Marvel would never do that. They would never undo their continuity. Uh, you don't have to. That's the thing. Like, that's the thing about an 11th life. Moira's lives don't always undo the continuity. Sometimes they do. But sometimes things play out exactly like they always played out. You know? This is Moira's 10th life. In previous lives, we see Professor X reveal himself exactly the same way that he has done in this life. So things can play out relatively similarly, and then you just move some levers here and there for whatever the state of things you want to be is. It's doable. Yeah, I, you don't have to do a new 52 with the 11th life. That's not what I'm advocating. It's, I mean, that. listen, that, that card is always in Marvel's deck until they pull it. And I talked about this last time, but I think the lessons of the new 52 should be don't pull it. <laughs> right? I mean, that's the big red button that says do not push unless emergency. And so far they haven't, generally, and they shouldn't. You could with an 11th life, but I, I would say unless, like, you're about to go bankrupt, do not do it. Do not do it, you know? But, yeah, you don't have to. You really don't. You can basically just say, yeah, the continuity is exactly the same up to this moment and this moment where Moira does blank, and that changes the direction of whatever the mutant kind is going to do. You can do it. You can pull it off. And I think they have to. Otherwise, it's a huge waste. All right, let's see. Any final thoughts? Open Mike Eagle says, Shocked you're streaming while the Bulls are playing, but you're honestly not missing much. Yeah, I saw it. <laughs> We're down at halftime. Listen, this Bulls team stinks. This Bulls team stinks. What a disappointment. Incredibly talented and, like, sometimes fun to watch. And, like, we could beat anybody is the weird thing. But only once. And then we'll lose, like, six straight. Like, just a massive disappointment of a season. And uh, not a great time to be a Bulls fan. Should, we should have blown it up earlier. And we didn't. Travis asks, one of the most interesting questions in the game, how long until we see Beast get thrown in the pit? I think the the Beast, the Dark Beast saga will carry on so long that Krakoa will 
have like completely, you know, the fall of X will have happened before we get any resolution on Beast. So like, who's going to throw him in the pit? Professor X sitting by himself on a sad island? You know, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Beast has Beast has escaped the pit. Unless Wolverine puts him in there by himself. Which feels in play. Does feel like a possibility. All right. I'm going to go watch a really disappointing second half of the Bulls probably losing to the Raptors. Um, ugh, the Raptors aren't even that good. Ugh, such a disappointment. Thanks, everybody, who joined. Really appreciate it. Uh, we will be back next week, again, at a later time, most likely. Um, I don't know, though. Like, man, like, I'm super excited for July onwards in comics, uh, in Marvel specifically. But, like, the next few weeks are going to be slowish going. Uh, let's see, two weeks from now is Dominion. That's the that's the Marvel book I'm most excited about by far. Um, so I don't know. Next week, let's see. I'm probably gonna want to do it. I'm probably gonna want to do it. We got an X Force issue. Oof. We got uh, we got Nightcrawlers. Okay, that could be interesting. Um, oof, Extreme X Men, Lethal Legion. Okay, like that first issue well enough. Bishop Bork College. I mean, listen, we'll give it a go. I do it for you. I do it for you. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> See you next week. Enjoy the comics.